0: Hey, everyone, it's Nick and On this episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show, we are speaking with Floyd Marinescu. He is someone that um, we crossed paths with a number of years ago now, actually, um, always doing some interesting stuff, a pretty smart guy, well thought out in his arguments. Um, And what we're speaking about today is his work at Commonwealth.ca, specifically around, I guess, economic rents and the land value tax and how he feels this can really help the the inequality in housing right now and, and really just the rapid price increases that we're facing and the challenges with affordability. And it's really interesting to hear well-thought-out arguments in this space to get an understanding of some other... Um, systems and some other ways that we can look at housing and see if there's an opportunity for us to make affordability better in ways that they can help society around us and the communities that we're all in, in a, as a whole and everyone in that community. So we, it, you know, it, it's just increasing the the level of those communities. So it's a super interesting conversation. Made me think a lot. Actually, just got the, that little hamster up in that uh, in that head, running in its wheel, making me think a little bit there. So, anyways, if this is the type of stuff for you and you're interested in more real estate stuff and different things, if if this upcoming year you're going to make some New Year's resolutions are coming up and you're going to be investing and you want to get the latest, greatest on the street stuff of of what's happening in and around the the local area where we are and in and around, I guess, the greater Toronto Golden Horseshoe area and all those different communities, the Rockstar Inner Circle membership might be for you. If that's something you're interested in, just go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash get started. That's where we put all the latest um, things that we're seeing and we have a bunch of different courses. For investors, and you can work hand in hand with someone on our team that'll hold, hold your hand through the whole process. So, if that's something that's interesting, interesting for you, just go to head over to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash get started. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life. Your term show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, so I'm here with Floyd. Mar- oh man, I'm gonna bl- I'm gonna ruin this. Marnescu. That's right. What, what, what and I'm, yeah, I, I don't I don't even want to do this because my brother always asks people the nationality of it, but I didn't ask you. <laughs> so okay. what nationality? Just, that's is a Toronto that?
1: thing, right? We always ask. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, take, I'm
0: born in Canada
1: and my parents are from Romania.
0: Oh, okay. So that's a Romanian name. Yeah.
1: Any Escu ending is Romanian.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know a lot of Ro- Romanian people, so I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. And I've been excited for this, even though it came about... Well, first we tried to do this, uh, I don't know what, two years ago, and we kind of missed each other's <laughs> messages. We were delayed with, st- with getting back to each other, but then uh, this came about in 24 hours. Right? So there we go. So th- this is kind of cool. So um, I don't know, Floyd, so uh, like, like I was sharing before, uh, your thoughts, I like a lot because of what you're doing and mm. the opinions you have are um not i shouldn't say they're not popular but they're just not mainstream mm-hmm. i guess but you put a lot of thought into them and yeah. you put research and stuff so the one that let's let's i don't know even where we start you know what give everyone just a little bit of a heads up like kind of your background so they know where you're coming from with this like you know just your your brief little journey of yourself to what got you to this point in business and stuff and why you're focusing on this stuff now
1: sure so just briefly um i have a computer science degree from waterloo um mm-hmm graduated early 2000s, started a software developer education company in 2006. We do large uh, learning events like uh, 1,500 attendees, 100 speakers in New York, San Francisco, London, and China and, and Brazil. And uh, did that for 15 years and then um, started to, uh, I sort of exited by promoting management team so I could free up my, my time. And I've been spending more of my time and resources pursuing um uh, promoting um, good ideas to help society get better. Um, just, I'm just sort of, I like thinking about so, sort of what what do we need to get to a better future, a, a Star Trek future. So I, I, I do sort of as a habit, I like to think about well, innovator stage topics as opposed to things that are already in the mainstream that can solve, uh, especially systematic issues that we're facing as a society. And I coalesced on um, on universal basic income, uh, started a, fa- a nonprofit that promotes it. It's like a marketing agency for basic income in Canada. It's called UBI Works. It has like tens of thousands of followers and uh, produced like 900,000 acts of digital activism uh, with people emailing their MPs over the last uh, five years. So I'm really pretty proud of that. I think we made a, a dent in the country. And then uh, the last uh, year or so, I've been focusing on housing market and coming to uh, this concept of economic rents that I think is, is what's really screwed up about our current market system, that we need to, to find a way to, to, to change our taxation system off of earned income to unearned income, uh, leading to land value tax, which is an example of such a system that I think would dramatically improve how the housing market works.
0: Yeah, so let, let, let's get into that, because that's, that's what caught, I mean, with the UBI, that's why I reached out to you before, and then yeah. this recent one, I didn't know you kind of have been at this for a year. I, I recently came across my radar just it relatively recently, and that's, that's why I was like, i got to reach out to Floyd. I think I had that as a note to do for yeah. just a week or two. So in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen that. So the land value tax, because as soon as people hear the word tax, they yeah. run and they're in fear. They're like, as a Canadian, we're like, we have enough flipping tax. What, mm-hmm. the, heck, what the heck is this guy talking about? You know. Yeah. But so, can you give everyone an idea of what your what you're thinking with with? The, well, not even you. I mean, I know that it's something that's been looked at elsewhere. So, so what is the land value tax? How does that type of thing kind of play into play into real estate?
1: Okay. So um, yeah, starting from, from scratch. So land value tax is different from a property tax. A property tax is a tax that includes a bit of land tax, a very small amount, but primarily it's a tax on the improvements, which actually means it penalizes productive development. Like If you, uh, if you create a building or if you add, improve your property, you end up paying more tax, which is kind of strange. It's almost like the equivalent of income tax uh, in, in uh asset space. Um, and if you let your home dilapidate, then you pay less tax, which is, is very strange because it promotes like actually misuse of, of land and property uh, the way it is. So um, uh, a land tax is the opposite. It, you're taxing only for how much land is used. And, and it, most land taxers believe that we should have no other taxes, no income tax, no property tax, just tax the use of land uh, to achieve a number of things. Uh, so uh, firstly, uh, land tax... Uh, land value, if you really think about it, if we're really honest with ourselves, the value of land comes from uh, community investment, from, from businesses, from people, from jobs, location, location, location. Uh, it's not produced by the owner of the property. It's produced by the inv- community around uh, through, through coming together, working together, public investments, train stations, bus stations. So the growth in land value has been identified since the beginnings of capitalism uh, as a form of public property. Um, and but the fact that it's privatized uh, is driving a lot of perverse incentives in the market. Now I'm not saying we should public you know nationalize land at all. Uh, I'm talking about real capitalism from the, the views of Adam Smith and the first economists who believe that we should simply tax land value um, up to a maximum of its what its rental value might be, uh, and then don't tax anything else. Like let entrepreneurs like do their thing, create more innovation. Because if you look at what what capitalism is supposed to do? It's supposed to generate, encourage innovators to generate value, uh, which means like start a new business, create a service, or build an apartment building and rent it out. That's adding value. Um, but but simply holding an asset and waiting for it to go up due to work that you didn't do is not really capitalist. It, it's actually feudalist. It's it's considered a, a rentier economy, kind of like the peasants and the serfs from like back in the day in the lords. So that that's like a. I'm going really historical here because yeah, no, no, but it's important. It's it's important to understand the origins.
0: Yeah, it's nice to understand that, right? Where it's coming from. So, but but in that type of setup. So there's different, because what about the resources then on land? That gets attributed to, so if I have a piece of land that has a lot of natural resources that can then be, I don't know, mined from the ground or something, then that, how does that play into things? So I want to come back to the cities, sure. but then there's got to be some some sort of value, because if I'm just land banking and I'm sitting on this piece of land, but there's yeah. resources there that can be used by people or the community, local or larger community, then there's there the idea is that... That there's a certain amount of tax on that based on what that land can produce. Because as the landowner, I wasn't responsible for those resources really being there. Like if there's water underground or, or energy or, or or lumber or something like, I wasn't responsible yeah. for that. I just bought the land after, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So let me differentiate again. I love I love that we're going into this stuff. This is great. Um, uh, in the again early early economic thinkers, the first hundred years of capitalism believed that the value of nature was created by God, not by people. And they, they, they have a concept in economics called economic rents, which is the, the, the rental value of nature. Basically, you can think of that. Or it's unearned income due to possession or monopoly, so non-competitive behaviors. So when they look at the, the value of, of any natural resource, whether it's water or minerals or oil and gas or land, um, they differentiate rents as, a, as a, a form of profit that is unearned versus the part of profit that is earned through entrepreneurial pursuits. So, for instance, um, uh, let's take oil and gas. Norway and Alaska capture a lot of the profits from their oil industry. Norway up to eighty percent of the profits in their oil industry, um, and and yet they still have an oil industry. Like companies are still going there, getting out the oil. So, rent by definition is the um, the additional amount of profit made above and beyond what would incentivize someone to go in and produce this value to to extract this resource. So, so if oil, if you agree that oil is not owned by anyone then just because someone got there first, they shouldn't keep all the value. They should keep enough to pay labor and to pay uh, returns to capital in competitive markets. And the rest should belong to the public. And, and, and Norway has done that. 80% of, of oil revenue of profits have been going to a fund that's currently worth $1.3 trillion. Alaska has been doing that. So like 50%, I believe, oil profits or so have been going into a fund that's buying stocks and bonds. And then all every Alaskan gets a check every year in their share of the fund's uh, returns. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, up to $2,000 at at most. So Alaska, although it's a a red state, it's the most equal state in the U.S. And and, and no one, none of the Democrats or Republicans, are willing to screw around with that fund because the people feel a sense of ownership in the fund. So I'm like thinking, to have a better future, we all should feel a sense of co-ownership in the value of, of nature because if we don't, we have a system where people are, are taking more than they need and everyone else has to work harder just to live. And we can see that in oil and gas. Um, we can see that in, in uh, the carbon tax. You can think of the carbon tax and rebate as a form of, 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 owner, of commonwealth, like who owns the air. So if someone's polluting it, then they should pay us who are, for whom we're losing value. We're losing the value of our breathable air. We're losing the value of our, of our planet. Um, so the carbon tax is a form of tax on rents. Um, looking at, at minerals similarly, it should be enough for for a business to go in and um, mine minerals and have enough to pay their, their investors a competitive return and and their employees a very fair or competitive or even large salary but the rest should be considered public property so that's what economic rents are and applied to land land is the first and, and first land is the first and most obvious monopoly of all because if when you possess land no one else can can walk on it or use it Uh, So, uh, so the the rental value of land has been considered uh, an ideal source of taxation, more than income tax or transaction taxes or any other tax since the beginnings of of capitalism.
0: Yeah. So that makes sense. Since Adam Smith, he was very for land value tax. So I, and I can, I can buy that argument because I I look at certain things like, so like the Nestle contracts for water. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I, I dove into those, I mean, that was a. I guess if, I forget when I did that. It was a number of years ago now. But when I, you know, from what I was learning about that, I was like, holy, this this is crazy. They bought some land. They tap into these these you know water systems underground, and they extract all this water for, you know, less than a penny a bottle, mm-hmm. and then they're selling it to us. Like the, between the markup and then downstream from that, we don't know what's happening, where that water source would have gone, and what it would have done. And, and you know, so there's all these. The, I can understand that argument. Where I get lost a little bit on this, yeah, is that. That money, like, I, I guess it's not so much the argument. It's where that money goes afterwards. Because when you talked about the carbon tax mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the reason I don't like the carbon tax is because the money goes to the government, which has been so irresponsible fiscally. And what are they doing with, you know, what this, this, let's say this, this carbon tax and it is making things, you know, there's a trickle down effect, making things more expensive and things like that. And it's like, I feel like for me, where I get lost in these arguments mm-hmm. or not necessarily, because I don't want to say disagree. It's not that I disagree, but it's where I'm like, I just, I don't see this working. Is because the irresponsible fiscal, you know, arms of the government that just, they just waste things. They just spend money on studies and, and, and they give it to their, you know, to people to support them and all these, um, all these <laughs> lobbyists, stuff like that. And I'm like, man, if, with that system in place, none of this ends up working because then all the tax money just goes to the, the high ups and it never gets distributed down afterwards.
1: Well, ideally it would be. So this is where there's just kind of two camps in that whole worldview, uh, many believe that the, the value of nature should be collected and redistributed back to everybody. Because, because who owns it? We should all have an equal share. Uh, Thomas Paine, one of the founders of America, had that view. This uh, is before income tax existed. Said we should, we should all pay a bit of land tax, and everyone should get pensions, and like we should be able to have child credits. He, he wasn't for. Uh, I think he was only focused on seniors and uh, and children. Um, so that's certainly a, a common view. That's why Alaska. Actually, the governor of Alaska, for that exact reason, created the whole permanent oil fund. He says, if we just take all this oil for the government, uh, then it's going to bloat government. Uh, if we just give it to the corporations, they haven't earned it, then we're just, how does that help Alaskans? Yeah. So I'm going to set up this funds and, and pay Alaskans their own share of the oil revenue to to prevent politicians from spending it, right? So um, now with the carbon tax and rebate, I, I believe in, in the um, in the provinces such as Ontario, where it's given, uh, it's given back to the province, I believe nine-tenths of it is going back to households. So it's a very low overhead uh, with regards to uh, it creating a government bureaucracy. So it's actually a, I would say it's a successful example of a Commonwealth-style tax on nature uh, that is given back to people directly. Uh, some provinces have their own schemes, like BC and Quebec, uh, but but most Canadians are actually receiving the vast majority of it back directly as cash. And I believe uh, 80% of Canadians uh, are ahead on financially from what they're spending, from what they're receiving. Um, so anyway, that I mean, air is just one example, right? Like this applies sure, yeah, yeah. to every type of resource. Like uh, how would the world be different if... Um, if all the world had eighty percent of its oil revenues being being shared for needs of the public,
0: yeah, you know? it would be very, there's some some countries in this world where things would be very different, like that, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, um, when Iraq fell, there was a move to try and convince them to use oil revenues to pay a UBI. Fortunately, that fails. You know, imagine that had happened. They would have probably have been no ISIS. There would have been no, no extra wars there. People would have been very prosperous.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there were some corporations going in there after for the rebuild, <laughs> Um, you know, of, of uh, you know, a certain nationality yeah. that uh, were, were very against <laughs> doing that and were very happy to take as much profits from that country that they could, as they could Yeah, they got in there afterwards. And I think we're seeing some of those same countries now look at other areas of the world that get, you know, decimated by war when these, these tragedies happen and they're just like automatically, they're like, Oh, hey, by the way, I'm here. We can we can help with the rebuild. Why don't you start giving us the contracts? Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole other yeah. That's yeah. Okay, so okay, so so back to the land value. So uh, okay, so I understand that on the resource side now. So now we take that and we apply it to you know we're in Oakville, so let's just use this this area. You know, have some land here. There's not much real resources here. There's no oil or mm-hmm. or things like that. So I have some stuff. So how does this then apply to? People that that are, you know, own in the typical um, suburban neighborhood, you know, some some, you know, whatever, a single family home or just some sort of property there. How 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 does it look compared to what it looks looks like today? Because the, the house on it, you're saying wouldn't it be because that's that's the. That's the increase in use. So we're not taxing the value of that house. We're just taxing the value of the land for everyone.
1: That's right. Yeah. So in the, um, in at Commonwealth.ca, we're, we're producing research and we're looking at what a full uh, land tax would, would do in the economy. And I'll bring it back to Oakville in a moment. Okay. But just the top line numbers, um, if you tax three quarters of the rental value of land, it would raise $194 billion. And, and if you use that to reduce income taxes, then all tax for everyone, uh, no one would pay any income tax for under eighty-eight thousand dollars of their of their of their job of their first earned income. That's one way it could be spent: is to eliminate taxes for ninety-one percent of Canadians. Um, or it could be done differently. It could be done like the like the carbon rebate, where it's given back to households equally. Uh, in, in that view, we ran some early stage analysis, and like ninety, the vast majority of households actually come out ahead, meaning they experience tax relief. Uh, so, like, you, you'll pay less in land tax than you would have uh, in income tax plus this credit that you're getting back, which is kind of like a UBI, but that's not the intention. The intention is uh, we need to do a land value tax to fix our, our problems in our housing market, and the best use of that money is to give it back to people instead of, like, you know, funding government in, in that way. Um, or if you replace income tax, you, you could you could see it as using land tax to fund government, but instead of income tax. You're taxing unearned income versus earned income. And the goal of of such a land tax is to keep the price of land low. So if you imagine like an instrument, any any financial instrument is only worth as much as it returns. So if you tax the value of land, then land will be worth less. And
0: so but how? So, okay, so because and I see I see the numbers in this report and they're all thought out, which is great. So the land is the, you know, the, uh, the additional rent collection proposed is 194 billion, like you said. So you know, and everyone all of a sudden, everyone's ears will perk up, and like, hold on, this is good. But could you know the value of this, or the income generated, could potentially get rid of income tax for the vast majority of Canadians, yeah. or or replace it? But how does that work? Because every the land is getting taxed now already. So where does this additional tax, where is this additional revenue coming from?
1: Yeah. So. Again, going back through to Adam Smith, to the first economists, they believe that the land, land's value comes from its rental value. If you were to rent it, what would you pay for it? You know, Whether you're renting it to farm or renting it to whatever. So whatever you'd pay to rent it, obviously you must be able to monetize something on top of it or you wouldn't pay that number. So the market will discover what that number is and that number uh, leads to the, the full value of land. Uh, when you buy it, uh, because you know we're not renting land right now, we're we're buying land. So the 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 current value of land is is the capitalization of its future potential growth, and and that's why it's worth so much. Everyone's in the market buying stuff because they expect prices to go up, right? That's driving our market um, in in unhealthy ways in, in many ways, um, and so uh, a land tax is. Uh, Uh, property tax currently includes a bit of land tax, probably 0.25% or up to 0.5% overall versus the actual rental value of the land. Uh, Versus if we we were to have a taxation system where we reduce income taxes, but tax, let's say three quarters of the value of land, it would be equivalent to about 4.2% tax on today's land value which is much higher than half a percent, 4.2% of today's land value. But of
0: the land value, not of the property value of
1: the land. Just the land. Yeah. Now, doing that would immediately reduce the value of land. So that we predict that if you had a 20-year uh, slow transition from income tax to land tax, the market would still respond right away. So within a year, land could be worth, in that particular taxation rate, three quarters less. How does it, how does it reduce the value of the land? Uh, because you're you're paying more to hold it as opposed to paying more up front, and then and then it's less cost less to hold it. Got so, it. Okay,
0: so it just change it just changes the numbers over the long term. That's why like versus the, revenue, the short term. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha.
1: So, or you can think of it if you imagine another instrument. Imagine a bond. Uh, if if a bond leads you gives you one percent versus five percent, the one percent bond will be worth less. Yeah. Right. It's the same thing.
0: And then people will have to. People are incentivized to do something with the land instead of just holding onto it. Yeah. Because and then if they do something with it, they're rewarded for whatever they do on that land to improve it, to generate revenue for themselves or whatever the case may be, because they're just paying, they're paying a higher rate on the land, but they're just paying on the land. Yeah. So anything that, so as an entrepreneur or anyone that's trying to develop something for the economy, if you develop that and you're earning revenue on the business or for yourself, well, that revenue, the tax revenue actually goes down and then, yeah. you're, and that, so there's no disincentive really to, you, you know, so that's why it brings the land value down because if you're not going to do something with the land, you're like, I don't want this thing. Right? That's so, right. Yeah. Okay. So imagine
1: if land costs three quarters less, uh, it would be much better for entrepreneurs. It would be better for people who who don't can't save up enough to acquire the original plot to do something, whether it's build an office building or or, or open a convenience store in an expensive area. If if it's cheaper to acquire, uh, more people can enter the game and be productive. If, if there's a huge barrier to entry in cost, then the banks are getting rich, uh, and and actually we're we're limiting uh, the number of people who can engage in business because they can't save up for the for the down payment. So so having land being three quarters less means that the median property would be about forty two percent cheaper, which uh, which is is quite controversial because we're talking about something that would actually reduce the equity of homes, but it would increase the value of jobs and, and, and the amount many people make from, from businesses. So that's where there's a, a transition, a bite that society would have to accept to have a fairer economy that, yeah, that is more productive
0: this is interesting because you and I didn't know this till yesterday, but you, yeah. So you're an investor yourself. You have a multiple like buy and hold, like long term, like yeah. Sub- I have a mixed commercial property and a few okay. residential properties. Okay, so then and you're you're supporting this, looking at it and saying, well, you know, the value of those properties would come down, yeah, right. But you're still okay with that because you think it's for the greater good.
1: It's for the greater good. And um, I mean, just look at the plight of of Gen Z, of immigrants, people are leaving this country, immigrants are coming and leaving, Mm -hmm. things are just too expensive. So whenever this happens, research has shown that the high rising land values leads to economic decline. Because as people spend more of of their earned checks from their jobs on just basic living, and currently in Toronto and Vancouver, people are spending 70% on average of their paychecks on, on mortgage payments. When that happens, people spend less in the real economy. That's why our our economy is twisting towards a a real estate-based economy instead of a, a productive real economy. And it's not gonna end well. Like, like every revolution we've ever had has come from life being too expensive for the majority of people, and we're going there. So yes, um, I would lose probably a few million in equity, but um, the, the gains in terms of uh, reduced income taxes, for, for, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm in a different category. So I would be like the 1% losing a bit more, but the vast majority of people could experience tax relief and we'll have a much fairer, more dynamic economy. Uh, and again, the, the, the housing market itself would work better. So when I bought my first uh, property, I read all the all the books that you've probably read too, uh, and uh, this was like in my 20s, and um, uh, I was so paranoid about about market
0: fluctuations. That yeah, I'm that, like, that's what everyone's worried about getting in. You're trying to like time yeah. it, like, oh, should I buy? Should I wait till next year or like six months from now? Or you're like, if you're holding the property for ten years, who the hell cares when you buy?
1: Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, there's that, <laughs> and uh, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I only want to buy property if it's justified by its yield, like meaning like the the rental income does that does that make sense cash flow wise? And I don't give a shit if if prices go up and down. And that was just a, a decision I just I made to look for yeah. properties that fit that. Well, in a land value tax system, that, then that would be the case, investment case for everyone. You'd be buying uh, in order to offer to rent, uh, but you would not be profiting from appreciation as much. That you would be reduced That would be reduced uh, in a land tax scenario because if you look at how, how value grows in real estate, uh, the, the value of the property depreciates, the value of the land depreciates. So, so the real estate crisis we have is actually a land crisis. So if we, if we make the, the whole game of chasing land value go away because land value really is publicly generated. It's a, it's a better source of, 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 of funding public needs. Uh, than income tax and other things. If we make that carrot disappear, then people entering the housing market, investors, I think will be entering it from a more virtuous, more noble perspective. It's like, let's build something, let's create something. Uh, Let's offer like a home as a service business, like leasing a car. I'm gonna lease you this car because you need the car, but I'm not gonna like own all these cars because cars go up in value without me working over the next 10 years and I I just become wealthy having not really earned it. So I I think it'll, it'll just really improve the dynamics in the housing market, um, but also a lot of the incentives that are actually like causing our, our problems today with with overpricing. Uh, one of the it'll fix. I can go into each of these, but on the demand side, it would um, reduce the number of people that are buying it purely for appreciation reasons. So you won't have people like my friend who bought a condo in a negative cash flow position. And, and hopefully
0: it goes up in value. Well, look, we've seen a lot of that over the years where people were walking yeah. into sales offices and they're just like, I, I just felt like I needed some real estate. So, and, and they had, you know, the, some of the new, the builders have these drawn out deposit schemes where you put a low amount uh, amount down. So they're just, they're just figured, of course the value is going to go up. So they just buy three, four units. Mm. They don't even know what they're buying. They're just like, I don't know, value's value is going to go up. And I'm like, yeah, that's, mm. you know, I don't look at that, it, to your point, I don't look at that as investing. That's, that's
1: it's speculating. Spe- speculating. speculating. Yeah, yeah. And, it's,
0: it, and I, I, I feel, Feel like in in the discussion when we when people talk about investors, I feel like it's it, it's important sometimes to distinguish between the two because I feel like it's a di- it's a definitely different skill set. and It's a different mindset as well. It's a different mindset. But,
1: yeah. So uh, on the demand side, and during COVID, we saw the huge price increases. Were not because suddenly magically there was less supply. There's as much supply as there was before COVID. That was a demand spike that was driven by investor exuberance with low interest rates and more people wanting to get in. Um, so um, there's really two markets for buying real estate. There's the market of, of families who need to live and rent and there's the, and there's a, a, a people who want to buy to rent out to others. And there's the family uh, there's the market of people who want long-term wealth appreciation. And a high land tax would, reduce that second market significantly and tens of billions of dollars would flow into the stock market into starting businesses into things that we actually need more than just holding property and and I think the the the, the market right now some in some markets in Canada 90% of new condos being bought by investors uh, instead it would be families buying those those condos or handyman types who like to maintain and and offer them to rent as as a service uh, that would be a much better economy, so so that's the demand side. I, I can go into supply and allocation dynamics, but so let's, yeah.
0: let's stop there just for a second. Sure, I'm curious your thoughts on something because um, I wish I had that graph available. I can look it up afterwards. Sure. So we mapped out the from '69 the growth of. Um, the growth of the M two money supply in Canada mm-hmm. compared to the average Toronto real estate board price, mm. and the numbers are obviously different because M two money supply is higher. But if you look at the graph, they meet the lines and the increase in pace of increase they mirror each other very closely, wow. which is very which was very interesting to me because when I first got it sent to me, I was looking at it, I'm like, "Holy cow, this is like it's it's mind blowing to me." And and something we all we we thought for a while. I'm curious your thoughts. During COVID, there was definitely a demand spike and driven by low interest rates and and things like that, for sure. So I agree with all that. But what percent of this problem that we're having now with real estate prices is because we're like the the prices that the sticker prices are going up, Mm -hmm. but... The value of the real estate obviously hasn't changed, and are the sticker prices only going up? So, if real estate, for example, is ten percent of all the money in Canada, it's worth ten percent of all the money of Canada, and there was one trillion dollar, one trillion Canadian dollars available, and so it's worth a hundred billion dollars, just using round numbers. And then all of a sudden, the amount of M two money supply goes from a trillion to one point five trillion. So, real estate still. Holds the same number of same percentage of Canadian dollars, but no longer is all that real estate combined worth a hundred billion. It's worth one hundred fifty. So, like, what role does like does that play? A bigger role than people speak about, and is that something that we need to look at fixing? Because that then prevents the some of the problems that we're in. I'm not saying that this wouldn't work as well. Yeah, but. It, like, is that just like the, the way we're, 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 we're manipulating the currency, isn't that screwing everything up more than anything else?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I discuss this with my uh, Bitcoin or, or conservative friends a lot. And uh, it's hard to say what percent of an issue that would be. I, I would like to point out that most people don't know that 97% of the money supply is actually created by private banks. That's true. Uh, like
0: So when they borrow the mortgages, sorry, but yeah. when, when someone's like, getting a mortgage, that increases the money supply. So which one kind of comes first? It the increase of money supply because banks can create credit uh, almost mm. out
1: of thin air, which sounds controversial, but you can look at a private credit creation. So 97% of the money supply is created by private 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 banks being driven by everyone's desire to acquire land wealth. I mean, it's the desire to see appreciation happen Mm -hmm. that drives the incentives for the whole system. So, is monetary inflation an issue? Probably, because I mean, the argument there is that uh, you know when you see when you're in an inflationary situation, you want to hold assets that whose value will be protected. So so that's why gold and housing could be seen in a similar way as a hedge. Uh, for inflation. So sure, you know, I mean, we haven't often been in a high inflationary position in the last 30, 40 years, like currently in COVID was a blip, right? So I would say, yeah, it, it is an issue. But I don't think it's, it's as big, it's nearly as big an issue as the the fundamental incentives that we, everyone wants to get in on the land wealth game. And if, if we had a land value tax system, um, less people would, would have been overbidding on homes during COVID anyway because they only w- would have been buying it if they actually needed it.
0: Yeah, so it helps. So even if that problem exists, this, this would... Help alleviate that. You know, it, it, it would exist at a lesser degree.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, because people were proponents of this like hundreds of years before we went off the gold standard. So yeah. it works in any situation. But uh, yeah, so I, um, I just want readers to co- or listeners to come away with the, the knowledge that the private banks are, are a huge problem in Canada. In the late nineties, uh, we did away with fractional reserve lending, which means banks aren't limited by by how much deposits they have. They can create credit. If you're qualified, you can, they can create a, a loan for you, and that money was just created as, as credit. Yeah. It's created when it's issued, and it's destroyed when you pay it back. It's cra- when you think about it, it's kind of it's it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy, but the impact on on buyers is that you're going to pay the cost of your home twice in, in interest payments, and like that's kind of nuts. So really, the bank makes the most money yeah. at the end of the day, and uh, and again, n- n- selling the system in an LVT system, your debt would be much less. So the banks would would not be profiting off, off land wealth, which is unearned for them too. They'd only profit off the building wealth, which is is good. That's, that's pro-capitalist. They should be inspiring. Loans should be going to business and construction, not to just sunk into land equity, which doesn't actually grow the economy. Uh, if you think about it, like when... Like capitalism works because when if a price goes up, the market responds by creating more of what people want. So so the, the, and then people get more of what they want. And then there's signals to the market to to continue solving human needs. But you can't create more land. You know, there's it, it a fixed supply. Yeah. So when the, the price of land goes up, everyone else is everyone else's life gets more expensive. And that's why we'll always have poverty from, until the end of time, until we address this issue of land wealth, because no matter where you are, no matter how progressive or how futuristic a society becomes, if you have 60% of the population profiting off the 40% that doesn't own and is renting and has to work harder to keep up with with rising land values, you, you will you will always be poverty. Yeah. And, and And even worse, even if you have a basic income, prices will continue to go up because everyone's trying to get access to land wealth as a wealth creation scheme. So we got to get rid of that, so that we can actually have the real economy can drive uh, society, can drive pricing, can can incre- increase wages. You know.
0: So then on on the supply side, yeah, and that all makes sense. And then yeah. and you were talking about the demand side, and then we kind of went off before you were going to talk about the supply side and you said you know in a typical economy when there's demand for a product so like housing then there will be more and more creation of the product because people see that opportunity they see where the demand is so they fulfill that demand and then usually in a a typical kind of economic environment there ends up being an equilibrium typically kind of overshoots a little bit so there's too much of the product and then kind of floods the market a little bit the value of that product then comes down because there's an oversupply and that, that equilibrium evens out so on the demand side Then we're not seeing that because we're not able to create. Well, I mean, the immigration, like the, the population growth policies that we have right now are really kind of spiking demand, and we're not able to keep up with that. So, but this doesn't seem like that. The the constraints we have in place now on the demand side, and maybe this is just short term, so it probably doesn't really apply, right? Because this is more of a longer term thing. Because I don't see how this really fixes the constraints that we have now on the demand side. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and go side. into that.
1: Sorry. I, I got to finish that thought about the banks. So when, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, the banks when, are evil. We already know that. Well, so, <laughs> well, I mean,
1: they're just following incentives like anyone else. But yeah.
0: well, hold on, actually, I, they're not evil because I'm just signed for a mortgage. I, they need to release funds like next week or me, so they're not evil at all unless we re- unless this is after those funds are released. <laughs> then, God, was it
1: Joseph Stiglitz? He's a noble economist who said uh, the difference between fraud and incentives is very blurry or something like that. It's just yeah. incentives.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see that in the banks for sure.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. So in the late 90s, when they removed the fractional reserve lending requirement, literally, you can see starting from late late, late 90s, the, the arc of home prices in Canada started just going way up and up and up and up. Uh, divorced from uh, growth in, in median incomes, so I, I think um, unlimited credit, unlimited money printing by private banks is like gasoline on the fire of incentives that already exist. For sure. And uh, and uh, U.S. has not experienced this craziness. I, I mean, it's their home price ratios to incomes have been reasonable, but in March twenty twenty. They got rid of their fractional reserve lending uh, rule, so I'm actually thinking, shit, the U.S. is going to follow Japan and Canada over the next 15, 20 years and have a gigantic bubble, way bigger than two thousand eight. So, and it good time down to that buy path. American real estate.
0: Yeah, and it is starting down that that path. Actually, <laughs> if you look at the the way their values have gone, yeah, it started to separate a little bit more. I don't know if it's going to come back. You know, it's still a relatively short period of time we're looking at, but it's interesting you say that because I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know they did. I just
1: that found out that last week. Like, oh shit! So if you look at what happened in Canada, it was a few years before that showed up in in the slow increase of prices. But over 20 years since the late 90s, when that happened, you can see where we are in Canada. I I think the US might follow suit. So it's a good time to buy real,
0: real estate in the US. So for all their banks? So all, I, their, all their, because the banking sector is different there a little bit. There's like the 5th, 3rd, 18th corner store bank. <laughs> you know, there's so many of them. But it seems like, as best you know, it's not regulated in any way.
1: Uh, I, my, I could be wrong, but my reading yeah. is that it, this was a federal regulation that was that was relaxed in March 2020. I just found this out last week that there's no more fractional reserve lending. Oh, I, I think I saw it on Wikipedia.
0: That. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, de- yeah. I definitely got to look into that. And,
1: and like, what is the role of, of credit in home buying? So a house is worth as much as a bank will lend against it.
0: It's a good point, yeah.
1: So if a bank has unlimited credits to lend, then that means homes can be worth an unlimited amount. There's no there's no limit in the real world for what homes can be worth if banks can just create credit out of yep. thin air.
0: And generally, people don't care the price tag of the home. They care what the monthly payment is on the home. Because yeah. if someone's paying $10 million for a home, but they only have to pay 100 bucks a month for it, they're like, that's fine. I'll pay the ten million. It doesn't. It doesn't impact them. Yet. Well,
1: they will, but yes, I mean, like it'll take forever to pay off. But. It, it won't in the uh, short term, and that's that's how the banking system profits. Because in the end, people will pay more than the value of the home again in interest. Wouldn't oh, yeah. it be better if? Uh, Maybe you had a high monthly payment, but your debt was like cutting three quarters less.
0: Yeah. So the bank doesn't get the interest. So with this setup then, because the values come down, there's less interest being paid to the bank. There's more tax being paid. That tax, if it's managed responsibly then gets then spent spent, on our needs to the the economy, to to the community for whatever the needs are in the community and help people that way.
1: Yeah. So it means that publicly created wealth is being being spent on the public and privately created wealth is, is staying more private and that's a virtuous system in my view. Um, Because again, the fundamental insight is that the value of land is publicly created. Uh, whereas the value of your income is not, you created it privately. And um, so yeah, so I think I forgot what your question was about about demand. Um, oh, just the,
0: does does the, the the what we're seeing now? Yeah. So the dynamics we're seeing now, where we're having strong demand growth, po- primarily through population increase, oh, right. population growth, and constraints on supply. This and this current dynamic doesn't really help either of those right now.
1: Yeah, right? So, so again, I, I mentioned that there's two, I mean, there's more, but simpl- simplifying it down, there's like two buying motivations that drive demand pricing. There's the demand for the actual number of people who need a home, like the real economy, like people's dem- need to live. Yep. Then there's demand from people willing to overbid due to speculative reasons mm-hmm. and to, uh, to create wealth long-term.
0: Sorry, I w- my, my, talk, my the question was around supply. The constraints around supply. Yeah. So, because I think you spoke about the demand. Yeah. And then we're, we're going to move on to supply, and I don't see how it fixes supply. So I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, okay. Right. Stuff, but I think I think we 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 covered that stuff. Yeah.
1: So my uh, yeah. So uh, obviously we need more supply. <laughs> However, I think the supply arguments in Canada have been dramatically overblown, and here's a few uh, cases for it. Uh, I think it, well it's been shown in Vancouver, over the last uh, uh, I believe 30 years, uh, the population has doubled, but housing supply has tripled. But yet, the price of homes has quadrupled. And the, the, the speed of new construction, of formation of, of, of new units has outpaced new family formation. So there is an example where we built more supply than was needed, than we grew by, and the price is still skyrocketed. And it comes back down again to speculation and, and land. Like, land is constrained. It's fixed. Like, if you look at the property assessment website NBC and type in some random addresses in Vancouver, I just found one that was like 90% of it was land value and like, holy shit, like that's high. So so that's why, again, it comes back to we're not better, we're not
0: using land well. And but how does it change for like a condo? Because yeah. so it like, so if you're, you know, on a small part of land, you're putting a lot of housing in. Yeah. So in cities, does that, it changes the dynamic of that, right? Because then what's the, the, if you're just taxing the value of that land, but you're taxing the value of that land based on, the, the its maximum potential value, right? So, like, yeah. like so then it would be four percent of this parcel of land that has, a, you know, a one 100 units on it. Yeah. So, the number there is substantially higher than the same size of land that has two single family homes in, in the same area of the city.
1: Um, okay. So, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, it, it, Toronto has this problem a lot. You, you have areas that are like, um, you know, two story, like duplexes, triplexes, right next to areas where there's are skyscrapers in an LVT system. If you have the same plots land size between the house and the skyscraper, they'll pay the same land tax. So what that means is it's pulling the market to to convert those homes in a downtown core into skyscrapers because that's what society needs. Otherwise, land wouldn't be worth that much. Mm-hmm. It's location value versus a home um, in uh, you know Mississauga or in. Milton is a lot cheaper because the land value is a lot lower. So we're not talking about eliminating single-family homes. We're talking about creating the incentives so that we have the right utilization of land where it's needed. Uh, so Minnesota and and Oregon passed uh, fourplex and six-plus around transit lines as a right. That what we just got in Ontario recently, uh, a while back, and it hasn't dramatically improved supply. Because, you know, just people just aren't motivated to sell, you know, you know, if your land value keeps going up, you don't have to do anything. A lot of land is being held underutilized because uh, especially by seniors who are, who are staying, staying longer and homes bigger than they need. Um, and that's an allocation issue. Currently, there's, there's five million empty bedrooms in Ontario, which is equivalent to 25 years worth of construction at the current rates, uh, mostly being occupied by seniors. If we had a land tax, then they would have the incentive to then right size and keep more of their money. Uh, and then we'd have all this supply being opened up to families who need it. Um, I also read an article recently that if if mom and pop investors uh, got less involved in buying condos, it could just that alone could create a million units for, for families to buy over 10 years without any new construction. You're just changing who's buying it and for what reason, as opposed to uh, incentivizing uh, the wealth creation aspect of, of homes. So. Uh, yeah, so to, so supply isn't the only explanation of what we're going through. I, I mentioned the Vancouver example, a stat we, const, we frequently hear in the news, uh, I think pushed by banks because it, it profits them to have more mortgages, is that Canada has the lowest number of housing per capita in the G7. Actually, Canada, UK, US and Ireland have practically the identical number that's within like five to 10 units per thousand difference. So it's basically the same number. So it's not, we're not the lowest. We're like the same as these four, three other countries that have way cheaper real estate costs. So it, it, that proves that it's not actually, it's not only supply issue. Of course, we should have more supply. The market should drive uh, creation of more supply. Uh, we should we should re, we should remove a lot of the zoning restrictions we have, but that alone will not be enough. So that's why I, I've come to see that I think we need more of a kick in the butt to, to get make the system work well. And a land tax would create more supply because it because it punishes underutilization, as I explained in the example earlier, and it improves allocation. People living uh, within their needs. How hard? But the,
0: so it 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 makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I, I can understand where you're coming from. But- Especially like around the transit line. So, people there, there's an incentive because the tax on that property goes higher because there's a higher best use for that property because yeah. of the access, the easy access to the transit. So, you can put a sixplex or whatever, you know, a triplex on it. Yeah. Um, but I'm just thinking if I'm the person that's living in that home, yeah. you know, and I'm the senior, I'm, you know, 65, 70 years old, and this type of thing comes in, I'm like, well, it's, screw you. Like, this is my home. I don't want to redevelop it into a, you know, a six unit property. But I guess then the idea is it's, it's like you mentioned before, it's phased in over, over, I think you said 20 years, right? So over decades, so they can plan for it. And then someone who's the, um, you know, some sort of developer, some sort of entrepreneur is going to come in and they're like, Hey, look, they're going to get a really fair value for the home. It might actually, in some cases, it might actually, they might actually pay a little bit, pay more for the home to those homeowners because then they're able to do something else with the property and then earn a yield from 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 that development, which is then a real investor because they're actually creating a product that people need and then holding out to that product and, and leasing it out, just like the the car example, right? So is that that's the thinking there?
1: Yeah, exactly, right. So like, I mean, a lot of seniors downsize in their old age to re- reduce, you know, this is very similar. Uh, no one's being forced out of their homes in any re- Neural, real transition plan. Probably the existing generation should be given. Uh, the right to defer their tax until sale, uh, but the next generation w- would know what what how the system will work. They will benefit through tax relief overall in such a transition. Uh, young people, uh, buy, they'll buy cheaper property, but they'll know that once they're retired, uh, unless they've like gotten wealthy or have, you know, they may not want to. Um, uh, they may not want to stay in the unit that, that they're in because it doesn't make sense financially. And and that's normal, right? Like the, the, uh, An economic system is supposed to promote efficient use of resources, efficient allocation. That's the whole point of an economic system. And, and our market system has been more efficient than any other, except our treatment of land, because our treatment of land is still based on old feudal norms. We're just holding land makes you wealthy. And, and that's why some of these things are just not working. That's why we have uh, an issue of like five million empty bedrooms in Ontario. So like, you know, like I remember hearing a guy from the Canadian Center of Economics Analysis who produced that research saying, we don't have a supply issue, we have an allocation issue. That's one point of view. Uh, and then, you know, I've been saying we don't have a, a supply issue, we have a, a demand investor speculation issue. Frank, we, we have all of the above, right? We have underutilization because people aren't aren't paying a fair price for land. So it encourages um, holding on to it. So you know, you remember Knob Hill Farms? Yeah. From back in the day, I was in Oshawa doing a talk similar to this a few days ago, and they have a property, a Knob Hill Farms property, which for 20 years has been derelict. It's been dilapidated and falling apart. The city's been trying to buy that property for, for a long time to build a go station, and the owner just wouldn't sell uh, because he, he knows that the rising land value is coming from progress. He'll just benefit from it, and he's not motivated to work with a developer either. So this land's been withheld from public use until finally, like I think last year, they expropriated it. They forced him to sell and paid him a fair price, and now eventually we'll have a ghost station. But in an LVT system, there probably would have been a subdivision there like 20 years ago, or maybe a ghost station already, uh, because you know we're not encouraging people to keep valuable resources out of society's needs, right? So that's why our incentives right now are perverse. They're actually antisocial, mm-hmm. and we can fix that.
0: Yeah, that, that's something that, I guess, gets lost sometimes in this type of argument I've, or this type of conversation, I, 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 I feel, because, you know, so much is looked about the value and the tax number and this and that. But when you look at what the reason is behind it, and, you know, if you're able to find a way, whether it's through this or something else, to properly support the community, it really changes the dynamics of where you live, and it, like... You know, it can be very different. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that really, you know, really kind of I, I don't like, and really frustrates me in, in our in our immediate community society here, is is the way elder elder, excuse me elderly people are treated Mm -hmm. and you know i just don't like the way those final years are put about and you know we're just kind of like oh we'll just put them in home because they can't you know they can't be cared for and there's not enough funds in these homes and we just don't have you know the resources to take care of them and i just like so that's the way things go like that doesn't seem right to me i mean Mm -hmm. if someone's contributed to the community and they've done things and they've helped people and their kids and they've, you know, they've done this. I feel like we should be helping them further along and, and respecting them more and being able to kind of give to them a little bit more than, than what we do. It's just like, it, you know, it feels like as soon as someone's not a, a quote unquote productive, you know, member of society anymore, because they don't have this job going on, you know, they're going to an irregular or whatever the case may be. They're just kind of like cast aside, like, oh, okay, well, we'll just like, you know, let them do their thing until they disappear. And it really, it's shit. You know and if you yeah. can figure out a way to get this revenue and create communities for people absolutely it it changes where you live like it just I would encourage
1: Change, that. Yeah. I it, believe in the UK that they, they do really well with, with seniors communities that are almost like resorts and where seniors want to go there. And they want to go there because it's fun and they have a community. Like
0: but here they're so expensive that mm-hmm. it's very hard for anyone to do. But if we could take resources that are then there and then put them into these areas, yeah. it changes it, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, that would, one of the ideal sources of, of um, outcomes of, of funding from any taxation system could be that, including land. Um but, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, ideally, seniors are living with family or they're living in, in communities and not alone. There's an epidemical loneliness among seniors, yeah, and uh, and in some way, these incentives contribute to it because you know you maybe you're alone in the area that you live for a long time, but there's no one else around, you know, instead of like you know joining a community, not not a old age home, but. Being closer to others, you no, yeah. live in community.
0: The one that always gets yeah. back, go, I, I, go back to is whenever we go back to Croatia. So we go back to Croatia every year for uh, usually about a month. I shouldn't say back to; it's, it's back to now because we've been going every year. I was born in Canada, so um, but uh, so w- but when we're there and we see our family in different villages, there the that village mentality, that community is, they they really take care of one another, Mm -hmm. right? To a point. I mean, there's lots of gossip and politics and all that type of stuff that go on as well. I mean, that's just, that's humans in any tribal scenario, that type of stuff exists, right? But if there's someone with a special needs in, in that in that village or in that community, or there's some elderly people, they all will check in on the person, or you know they'll take some. You know, if they're going heading down to the store for some stuff, they'll they'll take something back for them because they know they need it or whatever. There's just a little bit more of this, this kind of community aspect, and I guess from speaking to you, I just I, I envision that. I'm mm-hmm. like, man, if we could get to a point where we're not just you know, everyone's running trying to figure out ways to, to keep up and speculating on, on everything. It's not, and it's not, you know, and I'm not just thinking land, I'm thinking stocks, like just everything. It's just speculation and, you know, a few years ago when money was flowing everywhere, it was NFTs, like you could speculate on JPEGs and, you know, and it's just like, do we have more time to then um, focus on and pay attention to the things that, that you know, can, can benefit everyone at a greater good and, and not just taking care of of the needs of maybe some elderly people, but if we use elderly people as an example, tapping into their knowledge mm-hmm. and their experience, so that that knowledge and experience they can then get passed down, so that the, that other people can then benefit from that knowledge and experience as well. Um, so I just, I that's what I envision. I'm like, hmm, is this a path that where there is more funds available? Because not everyone's just speculating, and it can go into the proper areas. I always just—I guess I'm just dated. I never think that it'll be spent properly by the government. That's just my own, like you know. We can remove that from the conversation, but um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's 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 kind of what I see. And I'm like, okay, so this this I, I see where you're coming from w- w- with with this. Well,
1: most seniors are on fixed low incomes, right? So one of the <gasps> um, distributions that we modeled—that's not public yet. Is if, you took, if you took the land value tax revenue and gave it back to households as a, as a household dividend, so I think it would be like 12,000 bucks a household, a lot of seniors incomes you know, would increase substantially. Uh, and that's coming from the value of land. So to me, that creates a, a virtuous circle because land value reflects technological progress, reflects society's increase in and improvement. And, and that would be enough to create a self-sustaining flow so that people can live well and, and have access to dignity and, a, and adequate living at any age. Um,
0: And the people that are paying, and I'm just going back to the numbers because you said like one of the models, and you you know you have you you have it broken out here. So the land was 194 billion, and then you said you know minerals and and energy and forestry and air, you know all that type of stuff adds up to 241 billion, but. So it brings the 0% tax bracket in your model up to $88,000, which, which again, just that alone changes, that, changes that's things. For
1: land only. If we collected all of it, it would be, uh, I think it would be like most people would not pay any income tax. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So this is for the readers, this is the listeners, this is the report at commonwealth.ca, uh, quantifying the, the natural resources, uh, um, unearned income, economic rents in Canada. Uh, which is, as far as I know, one of only three or four reports of this kind in the world. Like, Australia has one, and, and for, like there's a few places. So I wanted to replicate that here to see what's possible.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> and then your properties, I know we touched on, like, you, you're, the value of the properties would change. So then given all this now, you started investing before you started going down this path. Yeah. Why did you start investing in real estate early on?
1: Um, uh, money was a, kind of a toxic topic growing up. Uh, it was constantly a source of anxiety and um, i wanted to have a passive income stream that would ensure that i didn't have to worry about about food or shelter and and the basics basically i wanted to have a basic income and uh so in my 20s i i did fairly well in um uh, in a startup just enough to buy a down payment for uh an investment property and i i I sold a condo i had at the time everyone thought i was nuts i sold it a year after because i realized you know what if i'm just keep investing in bling bling like where will that lead? And like having studied Buddhism and things, I just like, I don't wanna be uh, following those kinds of, of, of cravings at the time. I'd rather invest in financial security. So I bought a property that had a cash flow that I, that I could show that eventually uh, it would be like a basic income. It would actually, it was like a basic income, like right off the bat in terms of its, its cap rate. Um, so that's also led me to be interested in basic income because if everyone was not worried about survival, we'd have a lot more creativity, a lot more innovation, a lot more risks being taken. Um, you know, that's another talk we can go into the benefits of basic income, but uh, that's what led me to, to buy property. And, you know, 20 years later, I, I'm now learning about, about land tax and, and, and how these dynamics actually work. And, and I look back, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool that I bought that property with the intention of yield only, uh, uh, not of appreciation. Because that is the mindset of an investor in a post-land uh, uh, value tax system. And it, it and it's fair. It's a fair system. I'm also unhappy to see the perverse incentives because, you know, it, the property keeps going up in value. Like like landlords are not incentivized to maintain their properties. I consider myself a pretty good uh, landlord. I, I do want to invest in the properties. Uh, I tell the guy who runs it, hey, figure out things to make ways to make it better in the common areas, and here's some money. because like, why not? Like let's make it a better living in space. But a lot of landlords, are, there's no incentive to do that because mm-hmm. you just wait for it to go up. In fact, it's okay. so crazy. I, I learned about this recently from um, uh, what's his name, Stephen. He's just a very prolific, d- the Better Dwelling guy. Uh,
0: oh, um, yeah. It starts with it's a P, right? It starts with
1: yeah, um, uh, yeah. Stephen something or other.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna butcher his last name. Yeah. I, I want to try to attempt it, but I, I, I'm so off. I think it's like P U S something. Oh, I oh yeah. Okay. Anyway, but, so but yeah, better I, get, dwelling. I
1: to butcher it. Yeah, yeah. He had a really good tweet thread explaining why. Um why a lot of real estate holders would rather keep their units empty than rent them out. And it just it's just mind blowing how perverse our current incentives are. Yeah. It's because like if they rent it out, that kind of locks what its return value is and eventually an owner might pay less for it if it's fully rented. So than they would if it was empty when they can sell it based on its potential rent at that time. So like if 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 rents are 10% more in three years, you're better off keeping the unit empty because you'll sell it for higher premium because the buyer will buy it based on its potential cash flow at the time, not based on its actual cash flow if it's fully rented. So that means we have a system that incentivizes in, incentivizes underutilization.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's the opposite of what an economic system is supposed to do. Yeah, so I, I agree with exactly what you're saying. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> but then in that part of the system yeah. is the problem... Like, Are rent controls the problem? Because if you remove rent controls... Right and and, and and like I'm I'm openly asking this right because and I'm not trying to lead you to an answer but, but mm-hmm. if you if you remove rent controls then that problem goes away because then people can then rent based on what the market value is at the time I know then there's other problems yeah. right? because then it's like the, we have this problem with increasing rents and stuff like that but it does remove that problem right um, uh, Yeah, it would it, it would remove that specific problem. But it, I think if we had a
1: system where where landlords don't prof, profit off appreciation. Because of a land tax and that tax was coming back into people's pockets uh, as a rebate, then I I would be in favor of of not having rent controls because people would always have enough to afford rent. Mm -hmm. They would always have enough because we're essentially sharing land value in in a way that um, that is much more fair than today. And and then the market could actually discover the real price. Um, and, but in the current system where we don't have, uh, something like that, all the, all the value of public support, a lot of the value of public support, uh, is just simply going into land values, uh, public support for people in need. And, and that's, that's basically profiting landlords. And, uh,
0: so the companies that are, I'm just trying to extrapolate this out of my, in my head, because it's just, it's a new thought to me that it just has just been the last couple of weeks. So this is the first time I've gotten a little bit deeper into with this conversation. So I, yeah, uh,
1: 1,000%
0: Thousand percent appreciate it. Sure. It's very interesting. So if I extrapolate this out, so then you're a big corporation, uh, corporation that owns, you know, a bunch of real estate, you know, whether it's apartment buildings or commercial spaces. So then their costs go up. So, they, but their incentive is still there because they're still providing housing and they're getting the return on their investment from the people that are renting. That really doesn't change anything. It's just the 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 economic structure changes is what in what they're remitting to the community as a whole. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it I guess it
0: ultimately comes out of, like if, if that change happened today, it ultimately does come out of their profits. It, it, it comes out of their the- their profits go down.
1: Uh, uh, yes, the current generation of, of owners uh, would take a hit, uh, but the fundamentals of a new buyer who's buying a, a rental property, for instance, or a mixed use property, that doesn't really change because the, the yields from the property will be what it always was, maybe even higher. The yields from the land will, won't be there because you would have paid less for it in the first place because mm. you're paying a land tax. So it's like erasing the part of, that you pay and the part you get from the land portion and, and you're keeping the part from the property portion. Uh, so, but the the cap rates would be the same. It could be maybe even better. Yeah, yeah.
0: it would take a, a strong political leader to put to implement. <laughs> yeah. Because I just think that on, on the financial side, because yeah. of the the pressure from corporations, from current property owners, you yeah. know, if, if they thought that that was going to bring the the dollar denominated value of their land down, um, they're going to. There's just a lot of pressure. It, 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 It would be a hard sell, I would imagine, because everyone gets so fixated on that. I I find that people have trouble extrapolating things out. I'm not not even saying this is right or wrong, but I'm just saying people would be so fixated on that point that it would be hard to get them to visualize what things could look like 10 or 20 years down the road and how that changes things in multiple different ways to benefit things in, in a longer run. You know, that that to me would be the hardest thing to try to get acceptance of this yeah. in, in, in a larger
1: number, I would find. That's why any major any major reform usually takes a crisis, like a war or something yeah. nuts. And that crisis could be coming with automation and all the job losses that will be accelerating. And, and currently, uh, land values are already so high that people are spending most of their checks on it. The economy is slowing down. I, I, I'm really worried about the next few years. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of unrest, like, like way more than the Trump-style unrest, because people are getting poorer. You uh, know, on a people are house house rich and cash poor, and that's just it's just getting worse. Um, I think interest rates will have to come down. This is my prediction <laughs> in the next five years. That's there's why I'm, so
0: much debt in the system. If, if it, it look to your point. Yeah. there's so much debt in the system. If they don't come down, the the the. The path to unrest is shorter, yeah, that's that's, that's my belief. I, I don't know.
1: the only reason we don't have it now is because banks are doing thirty five year plus amortizations oh
0: God, the longest we've seen is we saw forty seven no we saw 94, 96.
1: You did here in this office
0: Yeah, holy shit. yeah, it was um, I won't say the bank, but what happened is they ended up stopping. they put uh, they stopped putting the amortization on the statement. <laughs> That's what they stopped doing. Yeah, we wow. saw it at 90-something.
1: So it's basically, and people are in negative amortization mortgages now. So basically, this is the return of, of feudalism. It's yeah. not capitalism, right? Like in some countries, 35-year amortizations are illegal because like, you're going to end up paying the value of the home like three times over, which means even if prices double in the next 20 years, you still won't have made money. I know. You'd have paid it back in interest. But isn't the easier
0: political move <laughs> to say, because just, just envision this, right? There's yeah. an election coming up. Someone stands up there and says, hey, look, we're gonna, we're going to help the first-time home buy. We're here to help. Okay, remember, we're the government. We're here to help, right? That's we all know how scary that is, right? So, <laughs> yeah. But we're here to help. We're, you know, we feel so bad. Everyone should be able to afford a home. So what we're going to do is we're going to change mortgage, maybe just for first-time buyers. We're going to change mortgage rules, and they can extend the amortization to fifty years, and that takes your payment from twenty-five hundred, whatever, three thousand bucks to. 2200 bucks, and now you can afford a home. And I know that's a short-term fix. I know all that will do is then incentivize people, and people will rush out, and will bid up prices again, and the whole thing's still screwed up. <laughs> I'm just talking just from a political standpoint. Isn't that the easier thing to do like isn't that more isn't that more likely well
1: we are indirectly doing that now because uh the first time homebuyers credits are is basically helping to co-finance purchases now the fucking government's becoming a co-owner they're taking equity <laughs> I know, positions that's,
0: that's i know when i saw that i mean there hasn't been much uptake there but even seeing that it's just like wow so well, that's the path we're going down i mean it, yeah if we're
1: talking about more uh in the current realm of conversation reforms i, I think having got to do something about private credit creation uh, rein in banks' ability to infinitely print credit. And I don't know why, I, maybe this idea is really stupid because I haven't seen anyone propose it. Maybe we should have a progressive interest rate where like the poorer you are, the lower your interest rate and the richer yeah. you are, the higher interest rate. And, and that way we can help, she help address inequality and marginalized communities can actually access credit and start businesses and, and and buy homes. Wow,
0: I've never heard anyone say that before either.
1: Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, just, it just seems to make sense, but may, maybe there's something wrong about this idea. I don't know. I've never read about it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, yeah, that that that's definitely food for thought. So that, that that would just help more people enter the property ladder, right? Which is is good. Like the, the more people co own things, that the better it is for inequality. But it it doesn't change the fundamentals though that
0: are raising yeah. prices. Um, the thing that gets me is is you know. It, 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 when someone, you know, if you look at the inequality, right, so someone grows up maybe in a poor community with less access to some opportunities, but they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're putting in the effort because there are some people in all communities. I'm not saying poor, like, you know, wealthy communities as well that are lazy and don't want to put in the effort. And they're just willing to kind of just, you know, ride the coattails of other people. And I'm not talking, but I'm talking about people that will put in the effort and they're going to put in the effort and they've they've had some savings. And now all of a sudden they're saving up for this down payment of a house. Like you were talking about, you got lucky in, in some, uh, not lucky, but you were fortunate in some opportunity and, and it worked out for you. So they're saving this up and by the time they end up saving up what their goal was the asset price that they've tried to buy has has inflated so much that they're they're, they're never able to get out of that situation mm-hmm. because of the way things are set up and that to me is one of is is like a fundamental problem with the way our financial system is set up part of it has to do with the credit creation for sure that that kind of amplifies things as well and I think what happens is, the way our financial system is set up, people just look at it as maybe like this inflation number or whatever the case may be, but it trickles down to so many aspects of society mm-hmm. that like a lot of the problems that we, we, we see, I feel like can be addressed if we get maybe things like this or whatever it is. I'm just talking the, 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 the manipulated money system, you know, in total. And, and, and so I'm looking at, it at a different angle, but the same type of principle. That's what I feel like sometimes people don't see. Because if you give people proper incentives and if they produce enough value into the economy and where they can store that value in something that will then hold its purchasing power, then it changes the opportunities for people right across the board.
1: Absolutely. That's why it's we're better off taking land off the table. So people put that in businesses and stocks and yeah. things that actually make capitalism go, uh, as opposed to things that drain capitalism. And, and to the point of some of the problems in society, uh, I believe I saw a, a research that in Canada between 2002 and 2015, the net worth of renters, renters at, at all levels of income, increased on average by $10,000. Yeah. The net worth of homeowners increased on average $380,000. So I saw that. I think
0: that was a TD report, if yeah. I remember correctly. I didn't mind doing something else. but I, So
1: what this means is that you will have a, a class of society uh, that is permanently renting and working hard to produce value for the other class of society that happened to buy their, their homes first. That's just not really fair. Yeah, It's the big wedge that Henry George talked about. Henry George was a, a huge proponent of land value tax in the late 1900s. And it's, it's a wedge between society that is fundamentally unfair. So an LVT would solve that, that nobody really profits dramatically from appreciation they profit from hard work they profit from starting businesses from from investing from creating things and that would be a fairer society
0: yeah that i think that's what i didn't um early on with some of some of the way you looked at things and we didn't talk about the ubi stuff and i would definitely love to have you on again and and talk about that stuff because it's it's you know because like i said your 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 thoughts are very well thought out um but um i try (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, and I, I totally lost my train of thought. But anyway, it was uh, yeah the, on, the, on the UBI stuff. I, I thought you were coming from um, a position of of just uh, uh, like it was just kind of giving people everything. But there's there's it, it goes. It, you know, you're coming about the economic impact and 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 you know, um, I like I said, I, I I've lost I've lost the point I'm trying to make. So I'll I'll forget that one. But um, specifically no, I, on the land, yeah, UBI is uh, not charity.
1: I, I think we should see it as a. A share of economic progress that helps those who are in most need yeah uh, who have been cut out from that progress for a variety of reasons that, that's how I think about it yeah yeah
0: on the land value stuff is I get it now because you're just you, you're like no this is how we incentivize people to actually do something for the economy yeah to actually because in Canada oh, this is what I was actually what I was thinking about earlier um, in Canada, it's it's really strange. Like the amount of investment we have into research and development and new business, mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly low. Like yeah, I I, uh, I I had a chart, yeah, and it it's like astonishingly low from where it was. And the, this incentive for that everyone's taking their money and parking it someplace because they're trying to protect their purchasing power or, or they're speculating or whatever the case may be. There, it's it's there's it's generating greater problems in our economy that haven't fully come to the surface yet yeah. but we need incentive to invest back into research and development as a country so that we can produce goods and that where there's that there's demand for that then can benefit everyone and i think that's sometimes what often people don't look at as like well i'm just going to do this but but when when everyone's doing that on mass those funds are coming from somewhere else and right now, where they're coming from, because there's not enough incentive to get people to do things that are productive for the economy and create new things and new jobs and new technology and all this stuff, it's we're falling behind as a country because of that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah. So so now I get it. Now I now I understand greater where you're coming from. Like no no, look, we want to do this because then you know, you've extrapolated out the steps. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and it makes sense. It's not just be like, because, well, people that own properties, you know, own property. So they're making more, they're getting richer and we just need to make sure that they don't get richer and we have to, you know, give other people money.
1: This is not about inequality. This is about the vitality of our economic system. It's it's making it into real capitalism. And like hundreds of billions of dollars that are being sunk, of people's working checks are being sunk into living expenses that could actually be sunk into the economy. Well, invest in the economy, which would change the dynamics. So it's not about that there's no incentive to be successful. Of course there is. But there's more incentive to, to park it in real estate than there is to invest it in something that actually helps the economy. And that's the problem. That's a perverse incentive. And... Um, yeah, that's something that I think would be resolved by this. And from a macro level, here's another stat I love. It blows my mind. Um, we often hear about labor versus capital, right? It's the old socialist versus capitalist. Um, this dichotomy is false. It, it was actually, it's been proven now. It's, uh, the, there's a there's a graph that a lot of economists, especially left-leaning economists talk about, about um, uh, income share to labor versus capital. How much of the money in a country every year is going to capital holders versus workers? And, and it's been getting worse for workers for many decades, and automation is a big reason for that. But if you factor out the housing market, what you see is that returns to housing from the share of national income have been going up, while returns to capital and labor have been going down. This shows in very clear sight that our over-reliance uh, on the housing market as an investment tool is actually draining uh, the, the plight of businesses and workers alike, which is the original um, view of Adam Smith and Henry George and these early economists who saw that that the, the landholders are just sucking the vitality of the economy and, uh, and it's still happening today. So today we're, we're advanced, it's been hundreds of years land values are quite expensive and it's still happening today. That's why we'll, we'll always have a, a working poor class uh, until we change our relationship to land value. Let me ask
0: you one other thing, I'm curious, it just came to mind. If the value of these properties ended yeah. up going down, yeah. the, you know, the the banks, because Tom and I, when we speak about we'll stuff, like, like the banks never lose, you know, like that's, it's like the, the banks are always the, the winners and everything. But in that case, because of the debt against the property, if the value of those properties went down, the, it, it puts the banks in a. Very bad situation doesn't that become problematic and then, and then extrapolate that out doesn't that then become problematic in a bigger picture
1: um, y- well yes uh, however th- that's a transition issue and i've seen I've spoken to a lot of world economists um, world experts on this, and one of the suggestions is that uh, if the value of the home sinks below the actual outstanding debt, then part of that land tax can go to the bank as a form of payment towards its 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 interest banks don't lose. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that would be if the banking sector is so powerful that 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 has to be done. Yeah. So, But that's still worth it Worth it from a long-term perspective. Uh, you could have seniors and farmers have a uh, have a, a, a lien uh, a de- deferring the tax till sale. So put it as a lien, a, a super low interest lien that only the government could offer, a super low interest. Or you could have debt cancellation. <laughs> Frankly, if banks are creating credit in the first place, then why can't they just cancel it? And then maybe taxpayers can fit the bill for the foregone interest, like a little penalty for the interest, which would be very small.
0: Or if they've earned a certain amount of interest, why can't they just cancel a part of the debt? I mean, the banks. Do do you know what I mean? The the profit's been there.
1: I'm not an expert on that, but there are some corollary uh, side effects that I want to learn more about because banks will then securitize and resell uh, securitized mortgages. Remember mm-hmm. the whole subprime crisis? Yep. So I don't know what that means for the next buyer and then the next buyer and the next buyer of that security. So
0: this probably is a taxpayer because, well, I mean, <laughs> ultimately the government's buying a lot of those those securities from... Mm. Wh- well, When things get dicey, uh, our government in the past has stepped in and bought a lot of those securities from the banks to, to free up as a way to inject liquidity into the economy, right?
1: Yeah, which is crazy because that's also pumping up housing prices, yeah. right? So they're preventing a fall. Uh, they're actually encouraging banks to do risky behavior because at the beginning of COVID that happened, right? Didn't, I think uh, eighty yep. billion dollars was spent buying distressed mortgages from the banks. Oh, because, it was
0: like monthly. It was it was more than that over time. I, I yep. could be wrong. I, I remember the, I remember looking at the charts. Now I forget the number, but yeah,
1: it was a big number. And and the worry is that we're gonna have another two thousand eight. So to to prevent banks. To stop to make sure banks keep lending, they bought all their all their bad mortgages so they could keep lending. And then what happened? Well, they kept lending a
0: lot, and then prices skyrocketed. Yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, we had we had a little, some sort of problems already, and um, and then the the the, the monetary policy, the low interest rates, and that type of thing, just was fuel on the fire for sure. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, it was really interesting what you said because I've been looking around lately. We started talking about the, the population growth and supply. This was a number of years ago. I think it was like 2016. Yeah. And no one was really talking about it. And it looked like we're like, oh, okay. So it seemed like there was something to it. And now that everyone's talking about the pop- the supply demand and like like yeah. imbalance, we're always under the impression, like if everyone's talking about something, what are we missing? You know, we're always trying to look in the other direction, right? So that's why I'm yeah. like, there's, there's maybe there's not something here. So I'm glad you brought well, that up. Well,
1: immigration is a real factor. I think I saw... Uh a BMO report saying that um, a lot of our housing price crisis is due to speculative demand, but uh, with the increase in immigration, eventually that it'll be due to actual market demand.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it's just overused. I Maybe mean, because I'm yeah. in the like in real estate, you know. Sometimes it's just over. I hear it now everywhere. Like, oh well, you know, supply and demand. There's not enough housing. You know, I'm just. It's like it, it's like well, that's not the only re- the only thing going on. Like like you yeah. like we've just discussed. There's a ton of other stuff impacting stuff things. Um, Floyd, look, if people want to reach out to you, like, what's the, is, it, is it follow you on Twitter? Is it going, like, looking at these reports? So yeah, there's, there's follow there's, me on
1: Twitter. Um, um, also, you can follow Commonwealth or UBI Works if you're into basic income. Okay,
0: and so uh, UBI Works. So it's UBI is the basic income stuff, which we didn't speak about today, yeah. if you're interested in that, which has got some really interesting information there, which I'd love to speak to you about again. Sure. But for this stuff, this website, which will... We'll, Commonwealth.ca, and okay. that's where we're studying uh, land tax and rents on natural
1: resources. And then my own personal Twitter, I, I do uh, a lot on this stuff as well and uh and i'm trying to trying to be more courageous on tiktok but developing those skills
0: yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i I try to stay off all the the people in the office do it for us i just found that i'm not a social media person i stay out of all of that (laughs) stuff so i don't even know what's going on but um hey uh really appreciate you coming in short notice i think you're taking off so i really appreciate you making it work and stuff this was was a lot of fun it's really good yeah cool thank you good thank you all right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Floyd. It definitely got me thinking about some things. And it's always nice to speak to people who are looking at things from a different perspective, but are also well researched and thought out in their arguments. Um, it just kind of makes you consider things, you know, wh- whether there's, there's well, there's always positives and negatives to everything. And then it's just kind of taking those and making it, maybe putting them into your own equation and seeing how things work out and just giving you a different perspective on things. So that's what I like about this type of conversation. So I'm really thankful that Floyd was able to come in and, and make this uh, make this happen on short notice. If you're looking for more of his work, he did mention a couple of websites. It's ubiworks.ca. That's for the universal basic income um, stuff that he works on. And then around the land value tax and economic rents and that sort of thing that we were speaking about the majority of the time, it's commonwealth.ca. So you can check those two things out for the research reports and, and take a deeper dive into that stuff if you choose. So until next time, your life, your terms.